1: number three on Weekend Fantasy Update. Thanks for joining us on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And we're going to have a little fun this next segment because sometimes uh, just luck would have it that you know somebody that's found themselves in the middle of an awesome situation. And uh, a, a longtime college friend of mine. Uh, former roommate we took uh, a trip to california together gosh 20 years ago as we were trying to uh, extend our spring break into our 20s Uh, my friend chris promadas is the manager of the Barrington rhode island all-stars and they have they beat a new hampshire team yesterday in order to advance to the little league world series and find themselves actually on the road to williamsport so first of all chris Congratulations, bud. I'm really happy for you. I'm thrilled for the kids, and thanks for joining us on the show. How are things going?
2: Hey, Mike. Great to talk to you. What's thanks it, a bud? lot for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. things couldn't be going any better. Uh, this is yeah. We are literally, literally on the road to Williamsport. We're in a bus. We're about an hour and a half into the ride, and uh, we couldn't be any more pumped up and excited to go. Uh, this is just a dream come true for me, the coaches, and all the players. And it's just uh, an unbelievable experience so far.
3: It has to be exciting so, to go yeah, down go the list. Yeah. We, uh, we all watch it in the Little League World Series and ESPN. It's, it's fun to watch uh, during the day. But, you know, in the early going, how do you keep your, your youngsters, I guess, from being overhyped? Because even, even adults, I think we'd feel the extra adrenaline there. How do you keep them from being overhyped and playing, playing up to their capabilities? <laughs>
2: Uh, great question. That was actually one of the things we tried to really focus on with the kids. We talked to them about just being focused and, and not letting all the big lights and the big stage uh, get the best of us. We wanted to make sure we kept things simple. And we always talked to them. We said, hey, you know, the, the field we're going to in Bristol, Connecticut is, you know, there's going to be a lot more attention there to you guys, but it's the, it's the same size field that you played on your whole Little League career 46 feet from the plate to the mound and 60 feet up and down the base path. So, just keep that in mind keep the game simple focus on your job and just kind of you know make sure our preparation that we've been working on for years and years comes into play and just hone in on all our fundamentals and just keep things simple as simple as you can be
1: So Barrington became the fifth Rhode Island team in the last six years to advance to Williamsport for the Little League World Series. They joined Cumberland, Cranston West, Warwick North, and Coventry. So Barrington, uh, Barrington, Rhode Island, I've been to several times, a group of friends that Chris and I had. Chris grew up there, and a group of friends that we had. Uh, at Boston College were from Barrington, so I know the town really well. I have to be honest, uh, Chris, I didn't see until I think it was like Tuesday, somebody sent me a text. Our friend Lou sent me a text and said that you guys were in uh, in the regional and competing. I think I saw you play New Hampshire game that you lost, and then I've been following the games since. So you got a little bit of revenge beating that New Hampshire team, correct?
2: Yeah, it was Exactly. Um, yeah, it was great to hear from Lou and Ollie and Scott Brady and uh, a bunch of guys from BC. So shout out to those guys for all their support. And, and hearing from you, Mike, definitely. I really, really appreciate it. But, yeah, we uh, you know, had a tough tough game against New Hampshire. So I'll dial back. You know, our, our season, our all-star season, started out in the very first game was against our, our rival for, uh, for the past couple of years. have been battling back and forth. And we always say, you know, if we, get, we can get by Bristol, we can, we can probably have some success going forward. And uh, we actually lost in the first game of the district tournament to them 11 to 5. And that was a tough loss. Uh, so we, we, we kind of took the approach of saying, we got one or two ways to handle this, fellas. We can, we can uh, use this as a rallying point, or we can kind, kind of take it. And <laughs> it can crush us. And if we lose one more game, our season's over. So that the boys with their backs against the wall and. Just had a never-say-die attitude, never-quit attitude. We, uh, we battled forward, and we strung together seven straight wins in the district tournament from that point on. That led us to the uh, district championship, and then we went to the state championship. We, we won three games in a row. In um, and the, and the last game, we were down 7-2 to two in the top of the sixth inning. We battled back for eight straight runs, and we ended up beating Cranston West 10-7 to seven to win the state championship. And then that led us to uh, Brist, uh, Bristol, Connecticut for the regionals, and yeah, we won the first game against Vermont, which was straight six to four in extra innings. Uh, the next game, which was the game we lost in New Hampshire, was two to one. So, you know, that that set us back absolutely, but we kind of use that as a rallying point point. We say, hey, we our backs have been against the wall. Uh, we can't quit. We just got to keep pushing forward and, and use the experience that we've had from our loss against Bristol to to build upon and and kind of drive us through, so we did, and it, uh, we came back, we beat Madison, Connecticut, which was a real tough team, and uh, we beat them 4 nothing. and our confidence was just building and building, and then yesterday against Portsmouth, we knew we had some unfinished business with our loss to them in that 2-1 to game, and uh, our team's just made up of a bunch of gritty, scrappy players, 13 boys on the roster, and We always talk about how every single player is needed to contribute to the overall success of the team and that without each and every single one of those kids, we wouldn't be where we are. We're not a team made up of one or two superstars at all. We're a team made up of 13 kids who grind, battle, and fight from start to finish. They take one pitch at a time, one at-bat at a time, and they just grind.
1: Chris, I was going to actually say that it's interesting that you brought that up because as I watch some of these other teams, there obviously are some some standout players, some kids that are – frankly unusually big 12 year olds and have a lot of power your team really isn't built like that it seems like there's a lot of kids that are contributing your son who goes by the nickname bumpy is that correct i don't know how he got that nickname yeah. so maybe you bumpy, can, yeah. maybe you can tell me how got guy. that. yeah so <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he had a big hit yesterday the kid owen pfeffer had went four for four he pitched as well so you don't have necessarily one standout superstar athlete, just a lot of really good baseball players, correct?
2: That's it. I mean, we have some kids on the team that only play baseball two or three months out of the year. They, they don't play AAU. Uh, they don't play on other travel teams. I, I do have some kids that do that, but for the most part, we're, we're just made up of, you know, there are five or six 11-year-olds on the team. My son just turned 12 uh, while we were here. So we're, we're young,
4: uh,
2: but we're gritty. And the kids just... They put everything into it. We talk about effort and attitude. We talk about playing for the name on the front of their journeys, not the name on the back, and it's all about the team. And, you know, without everybody contributing, we wouldn't be here. And that's what it's all about. And going forward, in Williamsport, we're going to have the same kind of attitude. We're going to go there. We know we're playing against the best competition, not only in the U.S., but in the world, which is just crazy. But, uh, you know, we're just going to go and do our thing and give it everything we've got.
3: What do you find is the toughest thing to manage about the team? Is it on the field, off the field? What's the toughest part about managing a Little League World Series
2: team? Um, the toughest part, I'd say, is just uh, the mental aspect of the game. You know, it's just emotion, an emotional roller coaster. We talk to the kids about, you know, the game of baseball, which is just a different type of game as compared to some of the other sports. The success and the failures and the emotional rollercoaster is, you know, minute by minute. Uh, and especially with 11 and 12 year olds, you know, they can be jumping around in excitement in one minute for a great play they made. And then, then the next minute they're really coming up to bat and they strike out and see the tears coming down their eyes. And, you know, just trying to keep that balance is really uh, a challenge. And for the most part, the kids have just been resilient and they've done really, really, uh, they've done a really, really good job of keeping that balance and, and that's that's been huge for us. They're a great group of kids. They're respectful. You know, all the credit goes to these guys for the commitment that they have put into the team. You know, for for 11 and 12 year olds to give up their summer vacation, pool parties, and stuff like that. We're out on the practice field almost daily. And sometimes you know, we've had some uh, really hot days this summer, approaching 100 degrees. We're out there grinding, and uh, I I give them a ton of credit because that's the kind of things that it took to get to where we are today.
1: So, Chris, um, you're going down there. You're on your way there now. You play Loudon, uh, I believe Loudon, Virginia. You're going to be yeah, playing so them on Thursday. So what it what do you know about these other teams? Do you have any opportunity to speak to anyone, scouting report, any of that kind of stuff, or are you just going to go out Actually, and play your game the way you
2: always do? Yeah, great question. One of my uh, coaches um, has a friend from Virginia, and his son plays in that same little league so we already started our scouting last night of these guys so we already started that uh we're doing our homework and uh we're going to come prepared to play we know that obviously they're a great group of baseball players down in Virginia as well and I'm sure they're well coached and uh we're just going to give it our best we're going to go out see, but yeah we started doing our homework we didn't uh, we didn't rest too long after the victory yesterday we wanted to kind of see what we were going to be up against and if there were any any notes that we could jump on we want to do that right away so yeah good, good question Joe
3: Galina, our co-worker here, uh, wanted me to ask you, he's also a Little League manager, obviously not one of the Little League World Series, but he wanted me to ask <laughs> you, what position do you think is the most important part
2: of a Little League team? What position do you think is the most important part to win? You know, I, I think uh, pitching and defense, to me, are, are so key. Of course, you need that bat to, to produce some runs, but, you know, our, our starting pitching has been phenomenal our, the last two games. We we had our starting pitchers went complete games. Alex and Owen, just, you know, smaller guys on the team, um, but they play with the heart of a lion, and they just went out there and battled and pitched their tails off. They were absolutely lights out in each game, and that's, that's exactly what we needed, and that's what they delivered. And I couldn't be any happier with the effort that those guys demonstrated. And, you know, whenever things were kind of getting a little stressful maybe out there for them, just try to talk them, calm them down, and let them know that they had the best defense, and, you know, in our opinion, in Little League behind them, and that they'd make the plays, and, and uh, just to, to rest assured, and, and they they battled, and uh, like I said, very, very proud of these guys.
1: Again, we're with Chris Promotis. He's the manager of the Barrington, Rhode Island All-Stars, who, are adva- who have advanced to Williamsport by way of the New England Regional, the fifth Rhode Island team to do that in the last six years. So, how long have you been coaching this group of kids? Obviously, you've probably been coaching your son along the way, but how long have these kids been playing together, not just this summer, but uh, over the years?
2: So I've had this core group of kids. I've uh, been coaching them since they were about seven and eight years old. Um, yeah, the, the core group has been together for that long, and I think literally that, that core group has been pretty much won a championship along the way every, each and every year. Uh there's a talented group of kids who, who love the game, uh, and they, they just play it the right way. So, yeah, we've had um, a good time together, and, and that's our thing. We just love playing baseball together, and we don't talk about the wins and losses. We talk about just uh, playing baseball as much as we can with one another and extending our summers and uh, just hanging out. We try to make it like a family atmosphere. We talk to each other about creating a family team,
4: and that's what we put ourselves on screen uh,
2: together. You
3: know, uh, all right, let's get to the hard part here. I, um, I'm the guy you probably hate. I, I referee hockey games, all right? And, every now, oh. and then I do, uh, referee, every now and then I do referee kids games. I used to umpire, but I quit umpiring. And here's the question for you. I quit umpiring not because of the kids. Love the kids. I quit umpiring because I, I got tired of dealing with the parents. All right? Yeah. And uh, I, how, do you, how do you deal with them? Well, we're all parents here, but how do you deal with
2: them? Uh, good good question, but just uh, dial back to that hockey reference. One of my uh, one of my coaches here is one of the best guys in hockey that I've come across. He's been coaching hockey for 20 years. years. Our baseball team here is made up of six hockey players, and uh, we use that. We use the hockey mentality to help us with the baseball games. So, uh, yeah, we love hockey on this team, no doubt about it. But, yeah, as far as the parents, definitely challenging. But, you know, uh, they make it interesting for us. <laughs> they're, they're a good group of people, really. My um, uh, bank is just made up of hard-working people who look for the best for their kids. We really focus on a, a good town made up of great teachers, and, you know, we focus on education. So they just want the best for their kids, and, and we can truly understand that. Um, and we just, you know, yeah, just like any other parent, they always want the best for their kid. and and sometimes that's tough to, to kind of communicate to them in the game of baseball, especially with Little League rules. Not every kid gets out there to play as much as necessarily another kid. But we stress to them, hey, in baseball, that one play in the outfield, that could make or break a game. And just because your child isn't playing all six innings, all 18 outs, doesn't mean that their part on the team isn't And that's what we stress the kids from day one. You're not all going to play the same amount necessarily, but that one at-bat, that, that one particular play in the field, could make or break the game for us, and, and that's how important each kid is to the, to the overall success of the team.
1: Good stuff. So, again, this is uh, Chris Permatas. He's the manager of the Barrington Rhode Island All-Stars. are on their way to Williamsport right now, actively on their way to Williamsport. So, Chris, uh, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on uh on behalf of me and all of our friends from bc we're extremely happy for you proud of you happy for marybeth happy for chris jr so thanks for coming and and go down there and kick some ass
2: mike thanks so much man it was great to talk to you thanks so much uh all the best to our boys from boston college and i gotta get you back to barrington so we can hang out buddy it's great talking to you thank you so much for having me we'll do good luck so all right uh, guys
1: yeah yeah. So uh, that was Chris Bermottis. He's uh, Barrington, Rhode Island, All-Stars manager. Pretty cool experience, George, obviously, for him to be able to get on a bus with the kids and go to Williamsport. It's something that when you're a little kid and you see this on TV, you dream about, and they're actually going to get a chance to do it.
3: Did we have this when we were kids, Mike? Yeah.
1: It was. The, yeah, it was the a little league world series with we kids.
3: I, I'm. It's a serious question. I don't. I, don't, I there was There was no ESPN. Well, I guess it just. Yes, when but we
1: were kids. It, in fact, I I asked my my brother-in-law this yesterday because my nephew is a, a really good baseball player and he's 11 years old. He'll he would be the age next year to potentially go to Williamsport, but it's a little tricky. You have to have a specific little league team. Like I played CYO, it had nothing to do with little league like official Little League. So your town may not have had an official Little League team, right? There may have been a Little League that they supported, but it might not have been part of the Little League uh, or uh, Association of America, I get, whatever it, it's called. I get where you're so, going,
3: yeah. I have no idea so, if it was or, not, or was not.
1: I, I play for my Catholic school against other Catholic schools, so I didn't play for a team that would have had an opportunity to even compete in that tournament. So I think you have to have – a town that really supports it that can put together an all-star team what's unique about his rhode island team is like he said some of those kids are only playing two three months a year the california teams north carolina florida georgia they're playing 12 months a year those kids are playing put together a really powerhouse team so that's what's cool about it and i hope they beat virginia and they keep this going so uh that was a lot of fun for me and hopefully for them we'll come right
0: back
1: Get the game with DraftKings Sportsbook where listeners of this show can get a deposit bonus of up to 500 bucks. Here's how it works. One, Create a DraftKings Sportsbook account. Two, make a deposit. Three, place your first bet, and DraftKings will match it with a 50% bonus up to $500. This offer is eligible for all users. Plus, new users will get a risk-free bet up to $200. Just go to sportsgrid.com backslash DK to play that. Sportsgrid.com backslash DK. Act quickly. This offer won't be around forever. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21 and over. New Jersey only eligibility restrictions apply and see website for details. So uh, a little fun there. I know it's not something we would normally do, but as luck would have it, he's really one of my close college friends. We have a good group of guys that hung out together all the time certainly sophomore, junior, senior year, and he just happens to be the manager of this team. Uh, it was cool to talk to him. You could tell he's really excited. Um, I, I was being honest in saying that, you know, for his team, look, a lot of these Little League teams, and you'll see the New Jersey team that advanced, they have a kid on their team who is just a huge power hitter. He's, uh, you know, he's over six feet tall, and he's somebody that can really drive the ball And a lot of times you'll see that with some of the standout little league teams, but this Rhode Island team doesn't have necessarily have that. That's not not saying anything that is not a negative component. It is really unique in that they have just a whole bunch of kids that are really good. Their pitcher, this kid Owen Pfeffer, was really good. He had four hits yesterday, and I just thought that was a very cool thing. The makeup of the team, the fact that they're not a -a twelve-month-a-year team, it's 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 cool. They're a little of an underdog story, and I'm happy, and I hope they get a a bunch of W's down there in in Williamsport. So, uh, anyway, Uh, theoretic news. Uh, Joe, we were talking about during the break, as many of you probably already know, he suffered a shoulder fracture, so he's out six to eight weeks. So,. Devontae Booker's place on the roster may very well be safe for now uh, until Reddick's able to come back. That's a, that's a bad injury, obviously, uh, at the running back position. What do we see? We're August 11th, so you're talking two months. So we're like week five, week six, something like that. Right, George?
3: Well, it, uh, if you're an optimist, six weeks, that's mid-September, but I, I assume he's gone for September. And then you look forward to October and you get him back. Here. You also have to worry about them putting him on IR. You know, where they keep him out eight weeks now and possibly recall him yeah. after that. If, they, if this, if anything goes wrong here, he has a setback at all, so that could be an issue as well. For me, he's pretty much undraftable now. I think the only way I would draft him is if you are in a league that allows you to put him on some kind of IR, whatever it might be. You know, I've seen weird leagues like that, if a guys out, you can put him on, then maybe. But I wasn't all that high on beforehand, guys. Yeah, well, oh, Theo Riddick's on Denver now, yay. I mean, I, didn't, I don't care I cared all that much. Uh, the injury just makes it, you know, just pretty much scratch above my list.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so we were going to talk about the Broncos uh, during this segment, so we'll continue along on that front. Um, uh, Vic Fangio having uh, kidney stones, Theo Riddick breaking shoulders. Uh, it hasn't been great. Obviously, the big change in this team is uh, at the quarterback position. Yet again, a change at the quarterback position. Joe Flacco, starting quarterback. Drew Locke backing him up. Drew Locke nearly got himself killed during the Hall of Fame game. Uh, tried, to roll, <laughs> tried to roll out directly into an oncoming rush of three defenders. Um, and then we have the running back position. Phillip Lindsey, Royce Freeman. How are those touches going to get split up? The wide receiver positions. Cortland Sutton, Emmanuel Sanders, Deshaun Hamilton. Um, and tight end, and right now you're looking at Noah Fant, who's their first-round draft pick. They traded back in the first round with the Steelers and picked up Noah Fant there. So, Joe, I'm going to start it out with you. Let's do the running backs first. We talked about Riddick being gone. Devontae Booker probably slots in as the number three, but the real discussion, certainly for fantasy purposes, is Philip Lindsay versus Royce Freeman. Both rookies last year. One's an undrafted free agent. He explodes on the scene. Royce Freeman uh, has a bunch of touches, but people have just... Kind of assumed that at some point he'll take over. I don't know that that's the case, but how do you expect this to play out with these two backs?
4: Well, uh, Royce Freeman is, has the, the body type to expect uh, from uh, more of a, a bell cow type of, of running back. Uh, you know, f- Philip Lindsay just came out of nowhere. Uh, then uh, the Freeman got injured in the middle of the season. But uh, I think people tend to forget that up until that point, uh, the uh, touches were fairly. Even I I think that Lindsay was ahead of him by like seven carries or something like that. So uh, I'm kind of worried that this might turn out to be, uh, you know, a running back by committee. I don't know if I see uh, any one of these guys like really uh, being the dominant factor. I I think it is uh, based on what happened last year, uh, Philip Lindsay's job to lose. But this is a new uh, coaching regime. So you're not really sure how they're going to handle it.
1: George, your thoughts on this running back uh, battle? Right now, Freeman going off the board, 18th running back, Lindsey the 24th running back right now. I'm sorry, that's the wrong Freeman. That's the wrong Freeman. My bad. Uh, Royce Freeman is the 38th running back off the board, and Phillip Lindsey is the 24th. That makes more sense.
3: Yeah, I think uh, running back by committee uh, is an interesting term. Most teams have a running back by committee. All right, The only teams that don't play with Dallas Giants, you know, uh, uh, maybe New Orleans or even New Orleans sort of has a committee going there. Uh, and Carolina. There's a reason why those backs are taken at the top because those are sole backs. Uh, all of that, most teams have some kind of two-back system here. My worry about is this with Freeman. I think he's the kind of back that needs the workload because I think he's the t- kind of back that wears defenses down, which means he's going to do a lot of his damage after carry 12 in the second half, and he's not going to get that. Not consistently. At least not, not a lot of carries more than 12. Because Lindsay was so good last year, they're not going to forget about him. Yes, I do think they'll give Freeman a shot to give, earn a bigger role because he was a high draft pick. And generally, that, that allows you certain, a certain amount of failures. You know, last year, I would say, is, well, I think a failure is a tough word there, but wasn't what they expected. wasn't anywhere near as bad as Ronald Jones, but it you know, wasn't what they expected. And Lindsay came on there and really set the world on fire. You know, and uh, he got the job done. got hurt late, and he's healthy now. So, like Joe, I'm I'm a little worried here. You know, is it? I think they're gonna give him, him carries, and that could be a problem. You know, what well, what are we gonna do? You know, he, uh, draft Lindsey as a running back two, or oh, is he running back three? Is he more of a flex guy? That's where he is to be more of a flex guy here, because I don't know what's going to happen there. You know, I don't know what, what how they're gonna go in this direction. Freeman, I gotta tell you guys, as a reserve player, sure, I have some interest. Uh, he's more than a waiver wire because listen, any running back with a pulse, it's gonna get. 10-plus touches a game, yeah. has extreme value. We don't have enough to go around here. So I do want to take him. But as a starter week in and week out, even in my flex, not unless I'm playing in one of those leagues that got rid of kicker, got rid of defenses, and you play with three flexes and you're still starting two running backs, then I could see it. But in our normal standard leagues where you have two running backs and one flex, no, he's more of a bye week Uh, So, all
1: right, over to the wide receiver position. Manuel Sanders coming off the Achilles injury, I believe it is. Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, those are two guys that drafted last year. They obviously, they really did backfill offensive talent in the draft last year pretty nicely. Uh, Freeman was a third-round pick. Sutton was their second-round pick. Hamilton their fourth-round pick. And then this year, first-round pick, and no offense. So just in two drafts, they've effectively built out their depth chart. And Lindsey just happened to be a, yeah. uh, a, a free agent that, that worked. So... You can see this is all built around Joe Flacco and potentially Drew Locke, who's the second-round pick this year. So, Joe, how do you think that this passing offense works in general, and where do you expect the targets to line up?
4: Uh, I think Sanders is going to obviously be be the number one. Hopefully he's uh, 100% healthy. It looks like he's trending that way for week one. Uh, Cortland Sutton, he was a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of hype leading up into uh, the start of the season uh, last year, a lot of preseason hype, but just didn't, uh, you know, get it done. And uh, Deshaun Hamilton, you know, kind of, you know, opened some eyes in the middle of the season. So I, I think that the, the problem is is there's not really that, that much uh, going on at the quarterback position here. I mean, you know, Flacco, we know what he is, right? Uh, and Drew Locke. Uh, you know, f- 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 when you look at, uh, you know, th- these rookie quarterbacks that we've seen just uh, in the past couple of days, uh, I, you know, obviously, Daniel Jones looked very good. Kyla Murray in, impressed as well. Dwayne Haskins needs some work. But I think uh, of the rookie quarterbacks, uh, it looks like Locke is uh, probably the furthest away at this stage from being uh, NFL ready. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm willing to take a chance on Sanders because I know that the targets are going to be there. Uh, yeah, then from there, I mean, I think I like Deshaun Hamilton a little bit more than Sutton just because he got it done on the field a little bit last season. Uh, but I'm not really crazy about the receiving options here, and, and it stems down from the quarterbacking. Uh, George, I don't think anybody here
1: is in love with Joe Flacco. Like, I, I think that's safe to say. Um, but Emmanuel Sanders right now is going 122nd uh, in drafts. That's the 13th round. I'm good with that. I'm going to already have three to four, maybe even five wide receivers at that point. That's, I I don't know what my expectations are, but considering who he is and what he's been able to do in the league, he was even productive last year before he got hurt. He had 71 catches, I believe. Uh, I just had it in front of me. 71 catches on the year. And here it is. 71 catches, 868 yards. Uh, four touchdowns. He also had a rushing touchdown, so I, I just think, based on where he's going, George, like, why not take that shot at Emmanuel Sanders?
3: Agreed. You'll get New your for me. I'm I'm on Emmanuel Sanders. I took him in that league that we played uh, the uh, the in house league on Friday. I don't remember where offhand, but I took him. I I think as a once again, as training camp's gone along. And he keeps proving himself healthy. I keep moving up my moving up my draft boards. He won't get the wide receiver two, but I think a wide receiver three. I'm fine with it. Now I am not. You, you said it, I am not wacko for Flacco. You know I don't know what this offense <laughs> is going to be. I, you I like know, that. Uh, uh, I stole that from somebody. Probably I think Matthew Barry of ESPN used to say that. Uh, so I'm certainly not wacko for Flacco. This offense I think is going to struggle. Uh, defense is good. But as we've gone over once again, I, I apologize. I don't remember if it was Mike Blewett or, or uh, Joe Galina. Uh, I think they're 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 an easy bet for the under. I think Mike. I think the oh, over under is seven in this team. I, I don't know if they can win four. It's a brutal. It's not so much the team. It's a brutal schedule that they have to play. I mean, they so have
1: uh, that's the con- over under is seven. We'll go over that in a minute. But yeah, uh, I, I'm, under I'm picking up what you're, under. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah I, I'll hit that one hard. I hit that one hard. Uh, I think that we did. trailing was going to force to hit them to throw. And that's good for Sanders. I don't trust Flacco. I don't to put up big numbers here. But I think San- I'm not expecting big I just need wide receiver three numbers. And I'll take that. And I think uh, as you're sort of hinting, Mike, you can get them later than that. Well, you're not even drafting as a wide receiver three. You're probably drafting more as a reserve. And that to me, that's a yeah. double bonus here. I think if people who are drafting in September, that first week of September, when you realize, oh, Sanders is fine. He's going to be you know, a good player. You get immense value, though, if you drafted him before then. Because you get to draft him probably – a- You will have to draft him as a wide receiver three then.
1: He's going right now in the 13th round, and Cortland Sutton is going in the eighth round. So uh, there are increased expectations on Sutton in part because of what George is talking about. I think people are still trying to figure out how Sanders looks. Look, he's an older player coming off an injury that older players don't bounce back well from. I think there is a right for people to be skeptical, but he's out there and he's getting it done. So I can't assume he's going to tear his Achilles again. If he's able to be out there and run routes and there's no noticeable hindrance of his play, Joe, then I I think we're good there. Um, Noah Fant, rookie tight end right now. I'm just looking where he's going in drafts. Rookie tight ends just don't get anything done. He's going so late, 196, so he is in the basically the last round in your 16-player drafts, redrafts. So Noah Fant in the 16th round, he's probably a guy that w- would be more highly owned in your deeper leagues, best balls, that kind of stuff. But do you have any thoughts that Flacco might be looking for him at the tight end position because Flacco has done that throughout his career in Baltimore?
4: It's a possibility, no no doubt, but uh, you mentioned it, you know, uh, tight end is one of the uh, positions that it just seems that unless you're a real special type of player, sometimes it takes you. Two, three years to get uh, acclimated to being a good tight end in the NFL. Look at O.J. Howard. Look at all the talent that he came into the league with. And, uh, you know, everyone's banking on him finally turning the corner this year. I think this is his third year in the league. I mean, he's shown flashes, but, uh, you know, I I, I would put uh, O.J. Howard's uh, skill set, you know, a little above uh, Noah Fant. So I'm not really looking for much fantasy wise. Uh, out of uh, fantasy this season. Uh, and yeah, you, you're right. That In the past, Flacco has has utilized the tight end. But I just don't see, uh, unless in a, a super deep league, you get much uh, fantasy production out of him this season.
1: Yeah, like even Travis Kelsey, take his career. His first year, he was injured. So as he was a rookie, he was injured. And he basically, he was playing as a 25-year-old his first full season. He was 25 years old. He started 11 games in 2014, 67 for 862. Then the next year, 72 for 875, 85 for 1125, 83 for 1,038, 103 for 1336. Travis Kelsey's career has been building, building, building. But in his first year, he was He's a hero. his second year, he had some experience under his belt. He was really playing for the first time. But he didn't blow the doors off the league, you know. And it's hard to for me to expect anybody, especially in this offense, to do anything like that okay uh george likes the under hard under on denver here's their schedule at oakland hosting chicago at green bay hosting jacksonville at the chargers hosting tennessee hosting kansas city at indianapolis cleveland The bye week It's not all there's no easy w's there that's i think that's what george no. is talking about the, I, that, i'm with them on that one yeah it, There's no easy W's there. The at Oakland Mm -hmm. is tough to start. They're they're Monday night, late night, Monday night game. After that, it's at Minnesota, at Buffalo, hosting the Chargers, at Houston, at Kansas City, hosting Detroit, hosting Mm -hmm. Oakland. So even after the bye week, their road games are Minnesota, Buffalo, Houston, Kansas City, and the only home game in that stretch is the Chargers. I think George has got a point there that – I can appreciate that Vic Fangio is the type of coach that could get this defense back to being where they were a couple of years ago, because that's that's who he is. He's a defensive-minded coach. I just don't like it. I just don't like the look. I'm with George. I think this is an under. I didn't like them last year. I thought it was going to fall apart, and it did. And I just think that they're finally getting some talent on offense, Joe, but I I just
4: think they're going to miss. I think they'll be under seven. Yeah, I, I say four or five wins at best. With, with you guys. We'll see if the Raiders'
0: outlook is any rosier. We'll back to close the show with the Oakland Raiders after this.
1: Bowie, free Mercury on Sunday morning. I'm not feeling pressure. I'm not under pressure to finish out this show. Weekend Wagers is going to be next. With these two gentlemen, Joe Galina and George Kurtz,
4: you're
1: going to be getting it done for three hours, 12 to 3. You guys were riding a longboard today, a little 9 to 3 shift. I've been there. It ain't easy. <laughs> but uh, you'll be...
3: Uh, I do this every, every weekend, week Mike, Saturday and Sunday, yeah. all right? I'm old hat at this. Yeah,
1: you do. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. You're going to be talking. They'll be doing a lot more baseball than we did on this show. It's football season, so... I did your baseball segment for those of you out there. Hopefully, you had fun listening to my friend Chris Pramadas, the manager of the Rhode Island Little League team on their way to Williamsport. So crazy, so crazy that it uh, he he uh, he got them there. But I'm really happy for them. So uh, we talked about so neither of us none of us like the Broncos to get the over. Uh, that's seven. Uh, we all think the Chiefs and the Chargers are going to be right on their numbers, but we both like the Chiefs and Chargers. We all like, excuse me, the Chiefs and Chargers to make the playoffs. Is that accurate? Am I mischaracterizing yep. anybody's thoughts? No, nope,
4: nope, nope, I'm right, right there with me.
1: you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, George, do you have the Chargers or the Chiefs win in the division? That, I can't remember.
3: I, I, I originally had the Chargers until Tarek Hill got, didn't get suspended. Then I went with the Chiefs.
1: I think that's fair. The Tyron Matthews signing is going to be really good for them. I don't know if the defense is going to be great, but that's going to be a, that's a really good signing for them. That will help. Um, and with this Melvin Gordon thing, the Tyreek Hill Melvin Gordon thing is enough for me to maybe switch my mind. But I'm still getting the that's Chargers it, at man. plus one seventy, so I like that value. So if I'm betting on a team to win the division, I'm going to bet on the Chargers. I don't want to lay negative money to to predict that the Chiefs are going to win, uh, I'll take a shot with the Chargers. But I'm less confident now than I was, say, in a month ago. Um, okay. Anything going on in Raiders camp? It's uh, As Mike Salfino said, Michael Salfino, who writes for The Athletic and some others, it's so weird that a guy who came into camp on a hot air balloon would create a problem. He came into camp in a hot air balloon, and here he is. He's uh, creating disturbances, helmet stuff, I'm going to retire. All that kind of <laughs> nonsense. At some point, George, he's got to get back here. He's got to get back to camp. So when the heck is that going to be?
3: He's not turning down $50 million or a crazy amount of money by right. staying out because of a helmet issue. I mean, uh, you know, I joked during the break when we were talking about this that the big winners out of all this might be the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Buffalo tried to trade for him, He spurned them. You know, and he wouldn't go there. He want to go. I'm not going to Buffalo. So he goes to the Raiders, and it's just one problem after another, right? He goes to crypto therapy, and he burns his feet off, whatever the hell he did there. Uh, And then now he won't report to the NFL to the Raiders because of a helmet thing. It has nothing to do with the Raiders, by the way. This is from the NFL. The Raiders can't do anything about this. You know, it's the NFL that'll uh, be that that says nobody can do anything about it. It's done. And by the way. Right. It's to, it's to keep you healthy, by the way. The players are always bitching that they are, the rules aren't set to keep them healthier. Well, this one is, and you don't want to follow it. That's why there's no winning for the NFL in a lot of these things, by the way. You know, people say, oh, yeah, yeah, then they don't do it. You know, the players don't want to follow. it. They don't want the, the extra health. You know, uh, in some ways, I think Brown should be allowed to sign a waiver and play with whatever helmet he wants. But that will open up a whole new can of worms. A lot of players will want to do that then. And then it runs into the same problem for the NFL. So uh, I, I don't get it. Really, what, what do you worry about? Is the, hel- the new helmets make you look uh, like you know, the great Gazoo and all that sort of stuff where it's too damn big? You know, but in the end, he's not turning down the money. So he reports. I don't know when. Maybe not until the feet are 100%. Maybe he's using that as an excuse not to, so he can get the, uh, that taken care of. So maybe it's next week. Maybe it's before week three of the preseason. He's a veteran. He doesn't need much time to get ready. But this has to be driving Gruden nuts. It is a new offense. You'd like to get him there some chemistry with their, their car. I think if this was with the Steelers still and Rawlsberger, eh, not a big deal. He's gonna play for week one. He knows the offense knows Ben, it'll all be fine. I think new offense, you know, Oakland. I've moved him down now. He's not number nine for me of uh wide receivers. Originally had him at number six. You know, I've put Evans above him now. I put Smith Schuster above him. Tyree Kill once he came back above him. You know, he, he's just ahead of Keenan Allen now. Just ahead. And if Melvin Gordon doesn't show up, I might put Allen ahead of him, too, because, once again, they're going to have to throw the ball more there. But I don't feel bad. I mean, do you, either one of you guys feel bad for Oakland?
1: You signed. You
3: you no. traded for him. Yeah. You yeah. got what you deserved.
1: When we did the show together on Friday, George, I, I said, I, as a Steelers fan, I, I'm glad he didn't show up to the – they weren't going to win the Super Bowl last year. He didn't show up to Week 17, which was effectively a playoff game, and he made it easy for them. He couldn't come back there was no chance that he could come back if he had shown up that week and you know half-assed it and gone through the motions i said this to george the other day joe the steelers might have had some sort of well let's try to meet and get on the same page you and ben and apologies and hugs and hand pounds and and then the s storm would have started all over again this summer because Mm -hmm. this stupid helmet thing or something else so he's not on the Steelers anymore and it's a is oddly a positive because he would have been problematic for the team so anyway he finds himself here as george said he's the ninth wide receiver behind uh mike evans in front of keen and allen um and at this point you hope there's some sort of resolution in these next couple of weeks so you can figure out what if antonio brown is actually going to play all 16 games right
4: absolutely and uh talking about the uh, the cryo chamber mishap. I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, US sprinter Justin Gatlin right he came on and he said that uh, he suffered the same injury suffered frostbite after wearing sweaty socks in a cryotherapy chamber. he said it took months for him to heal and, and think about yeah. <laughs> you know a wide receiver obviously you know needing, needing to make cuts and, and, and whatnot on the field. if that's true uh, or if it's just a, you know sp- specific to uh, Justin Gatlin, that's an issue. So you have the the physical issue, you have the mental issue of uh, of, of, of Brown with with you know the letting this whole helmet thing and. Uh- get, get to him. And, 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 you and, and in one respect, I could understand, uh you know, a, a guy who makes his living having to have a clear, you know, vision. He says that the, the new helmets, you know, he can't, you know, get, you know, get a clear uh, vision as he does with the old ones. I, I get it, but Hey, you know, you have guys like uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, they were told they had to change their old helmets and, you know, Brady wasn't yeah. happy about it. He made, you know, he, he said he wasn't happy about it, but he did it. So you know, just, put this thing behind you get on the field and be Antonio Brown
1: um if he's if he's following Justin Gatlin's uh training plan the Raiders might be losing him for four games just saying just saying yeah, yeah. it's crazy Justin yeah. Gatlin's not an innocent dude when it comes to uh certain things <laughs> that he just I got so you got I got you two, yeah, yeah. two year suspension I think uh, at one point stripped of medals and titles and and whatnot. So we talked about Josh Jacobs in the first hour of the show with Davis Maddock, George. Davis is in on him and I get that he's a first round pick and everything else. But the big positive is that this offense could be a lot better than it was last year. We saw flashes late in the season. We obviously added two big wide receivers and a running back. And he will. There really is nobody else to take that many touches, unless he fails. They bring Doug Martin and Jalen Rashard in to take over some touches, but he's going to be. It seems like he's going to be given the opportunity to fail. George,
3: I'm sorry, you we're ending there. Uh, yeah. There's more coming in. Well, uh, and that's sort of what we want, right? We want – there are always players I look at who are – and usually these are higher draft picks or big money players that are going to be given that chance to fail. Where a guy who's not making any money, who's drafted in the sixth, seventh round, you fail once you're done. They don't give you another chance there. So we always want those players who are going to be given that extra chance to fail. I I tend to move them up a little bit with my boards because I know they're not going to be, you know, one mistake and done, one fumble and done. You know, they'll get another chance there. We've all seen guys, you know, they put the ball on the ground. All of a sudden, they're in the doghouse. Bill Belichick will bury you so far underneath, they'll be able to see China. You know, that's just what some coaches mm. do. So uh, but with the higher draft picks, the guys who are making the money, they tend to get chances. I guess how high a pick you are, how much money you make, uh, you might get even more than two, three chances. You get over and over and over again. You sort of have to prove you can't do it rather than prove you can.
1: Uh, wide receivers, we talked about A.B., Tyrell Williams also got paid this offseason. 53rd wide receiver off the board behind guys like Anthony Miller, D.K. Metcalf, actually, Anthony Miller got hurt, right? Anthony Miller, I saw a scroll yesterday. Anthony Miller's injured. I don't know the extent of it, but I believe Anthony Miller got hurt uh, yesterday in practice. Anyway, uh, behind guys like D.K. Metcalf, Devin Funches, in front of guys like Nikhil Harry, Michael Gallup. Hmm. I have to say that group, I do like Tyrell Williams because of the upside. But I think he's going to be a difficult player for me to figure out during draft season. The good news is he's the 53rd wide receiver. You don't have to count on him for too much. But Jody's an opportunity for Tyrell Williams to break out on his new team.
4: Oh yeah, especially if Antonio Brown is there, uh, then you got the quarterbacks uh, taking their focus on Brown, leaving uh, Tyrell Williams, a big player re- type receiver, with uh, some uh, big opportunities. Of course, it not only uh, you know depends on Antonio Brown being there, but uh, Derek Carr, you know, stepping up and and, and taking that next uh, step and moving up and uh, becoming the quarterback that he you know, we thought that he had the potential to become.
1: So, George, that's a good segue by Mr. Galena because I was, worri- I was wondering before the draft if the Raiders were going to make a move for a long-term QB before they get to Vegas. Obviously, what they've done for Derek Carr is put him in a position to prove it now. They gave him Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams. They gave him Josh Jacobs. By the way, I've seen a lot of good things written about Darren Waller. Uh, sort of young tight end out of Oakland. You don't have to really spend any draft capital on him at all. It's just somebody you could even put on a watch list or whatever, but I've heard good things. I've read good things about Darren Waller. So this is on Derek Carr's shoulders now, man. It's Gruden and Carr. Like, it, they got to make it work this year, and we don't really love what their schedule looks like, but give me your thoughts. You think Carr is going to get this done and and become lock himself in as the long-term QB for Oakland Vegas.
3: Well, I'm of that group also, Mike. That wasn't sure Carr was the answer here. That Gruden might go in a different direction. You can never tell from John because you know, we know Gruden. Everyone's great. Right? Everybody. everybody he's, I don't think he's ever That's met right. a player he doesn't, doesn't like. Doesn't think <laughs> he's a Hall of Famer. So he was talking about Carr the whole thing. But is that just? Is that just him talking? Does he mean it? I don't know. You know. So I was unsure. Uh, I'm more sure now. If you're I read a story I think I heard it last week that Derek Carr actually bought a house in Vegas right next to John Gruden. So he must think Ooh, he's uh, solid. Really? Right? Do you want to uh, live that, next to your boss? <laughs> oh.
2: No,
1: no, bad, terrible call. No. I would never, never live next to your boss. Right,
3: I think, it, I think it's a bad call. What if it doesn't work out? We're going to sell the house and leave? You know, that sort yes. of thing. So yeah, I think that's a bad call as well. You'd have to. Oh, well, you just got cut. You don't want to live there anymore, so you'd have to leave. Yeah, you know, so I, I agree with you guys. I think it's a horrible move by Carter. But that's the story that came out. It's about a reputable, I forget what. This wasn't like some you know, 13-year reporting This came by a reputable site. Mm-hmm. I just found that mm-hmm. odd. So he must think he's safe. But, you know, yeah. we keep talking Antonio Brown. As uh, you guys just said, what, he's not back for a month or two. That sets his offense back. I you're back to what you had last year. I mean, I like Tyrell Williams, but he's not number one. He's a number two. I think he'd be a good number two. I like Jacobs. But without Ant- uh, Antonio Brown, that's eight men in the box. All the time, you know, so that could be a problem here. This offense really is probably more about Antonio Brown coming back. And as I said earlier, he's a vet. You know, he'll be in shape. I I think, assuming those feet aren't a big thing, but will him and Carl have that kind of chemistry? You know, it's, think about our job. You know, we work with somebody new you never worked before. It takes a little bit to get in a, in a rhythm here. You know, we, we work together. Mm-hmm. So we know we know each other. We we feel better working with each other. We feel more comfortable. Say things are true in football players or baseball, hockey, basketball. Anybody, you feel better when you've worked with somebody. And they won't have really worked together, now, will they? You know, So I think this is a a situation worth watching here. It's why Derek Carr, I think, as a quarterback, is so deep in fantasy. I might have had him within my top 20 if Brown was there. Everything was good. He's not, so he's out of my top 20. Uh, And Brown, sadly, I keep dropping Brown. He he just keeps falling down. And when I say it's one of those things, guys, I don't know how you feel about this, how you do your rankings. But when I do my rankings sometimes, like I have Brown at number nine. You know what? Doesn't mean I'll draft him at the number nine wide receiver, by the way. His time come right. up and he's next. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the number 10 guy. I don't trust yeah, him. That's sort pass. of thing.
1: Yeah, I'm just passing on him now. Like, you know, I, I he's going to go early enough. I'm just going to pass. I, I don't think I'm going to get into any drafts where everybody feels the same way I do about him, which means somebody will take him. I'll just let him be somebody else's headache. And it's not because I'm some scorned Steelers fan. It's because I don't. the guy's nuts. And I don't believe that we going to get it done. Um, I have a lot of questions about Carr, but he does have a good supporting cap. As far as the offensive line is concerned, they brought Richie Incognito. That, that'll be fun. Richie Incognito comes in. Uh, he's going to be spent at two games, but he'll be starting for them for the majority of the year. Colton Miller is their starting left tackle. He's the first-round draft pick from last year. They paid Trent Brown a lot of money to be a right tackle. It's weird. But Gabe Jackson got hurt. I believe, during their game the other night. I think he's out like six weeks, I believe I saw. So they're already having a little bit of a banged-up offensive line. So I don't think any of us love the Raiders this year, but they added all these pieces. Is it all going to work at once? They got Cleveland Farrell in the first round. They brought in Vontaze perfect It's just like so Raiders. They got all these head cases <laughs> here. They signed LaMarcus Joyner during the offseason. I do like that signing a lot. Drafted a couple of rookie safeties as well. Abram and Mullen. But I'm just not a believer. I just don't think it's all going to work out. Can they win more than four games? Maybe. But here's their schedule. Hosting Denver, hosting Kansas City. At Minnesota, at Indianapolis. Hosting Chicago, then a bye week. There's no easy teams in there except for Denver. At Green Bay, at Houston, out of the bye week. Hosting Detroit, hosting the Chargers, hosting the Bengals at the Jets at Kansas City, hosting Tennessee, hosting Jacksonville at L.A., at Denver to close it out. Again, I think they're right around where the Denver are. This is a haves and haves-nots division, Joe. The two teams at the top, the Chargers and Chiefs, are going to be battling it out. The other two are out of the playoffs easily.
4: Yeah, yeah. And with the way you just read off their schedule, I could see them easily, the measly, talking about the Raiders, I could see the measly starting out one and six. You know, m- maybe five wins overall. Maybe. You are right. hard under Top for you on the league. Raiders at
1: six and a half.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've already said it many times. I agree with you guys. This is a br- It's brutal for the Raiders and Broncos, man. Where are the wins coming from?
1: I just think it's going to have to be. Something miraculous is going to have to happen with this team. is going to have to put it together. I don't think it's going to get done. Thanks for listening to us on Weekend Fantasy Update. Thanks for our guests. And this weekend, wage was next with these two.